Hallelujah. Glory to God. Father, that is our confession tonight. Great are you, Lord, over every situation, over every circumstance, over every trial, every testing, you are great. And we thank you for your greatness. We bless your name for Jesus, the Son of God, and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father God. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, welcome to this midweek referral service. Coming, from, coming to you from Lawrenceville, Georgia, at WorkFan. And uh, we are observing social distancing and uh, trusting that God is keeping you and you are staying safe in Jesus' name. Our vision is to build strong families and serve global communities. And so we welcome all of our global communities that's joining with us tonight as we continue in our journey, in our study of the benefits of being seated in Christ in heavenly places. So on, so on Sunday, past Sunday, I addressed the issue of protection. From Psalms 23, verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So since the beginning of this series, part of the benefits we've addressed is, number one, that we have no lack in him. Number two, we have rest and peace in Jesus. Number three, that we are restored when we sin or err. Number four, that we receive direction from him. And last Sunday, we addressed that he protects us. So let me just, I'm going to touch one or two things in that verse 4 and then flow on to tonight's message. So that verse 4 again says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, last Sunday I made it a point to stress the importance of establishing a relationship with God that gives us the confidence in the times of trouble to know that he is yet with us. And so I just want to quickly revisit what I said about Abraham and then flow on from there to tonight's message. I said to us in Genesis 22 verses 1 and 2 that after these things, then God told Abraham to do X, Y, Z. God, God told him precisely to offer his son Isaac. And for many of us, when we hear an instruction like that, we are taken aback and say, how in the world could Abraham have done that? So the point being, God prepared Abraham in time, through various dealings and instructions. And after a while, Abraham got to the point where he had developed the confidence enough in God to when God now told him to offer his son, it was not such a huge deal for him, even though it could be a huge deal for you and I, because we do not have that same experience. Now, my point being, you cannot use or judge what God is doing in anybody else's life for your own life. I need to say that again. You cannot judge your experience with God on the basis of God's dealing with somebody else that you know. Why? Because you don't know the experience that God has built in them for the situation that they are in. And so each one of us must relate to God on the basis of our relationship with him. And so in that verse 4, it says, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, 
they comfort me. So there are two instruments in the hand of a shepherd that he uses to guide and to protect the sheep in the times of trouble. Those two instruments are what we read here in Psalm 23 verse 4, the rod and the staff. Now go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Very quickly, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 14. The rod and the staff. These are two distinct items in a good shepherd's hand. And they bring comfort to our hearts. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 14 says, Standing therefore, guarded your waist. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Stand therefore, having guarded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. In verse 17, same chapter, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the point is, what's the difference between the truth in verse 14 and the sword of the spirit in verse 17? Both of them basically are the same thing. Both of them is the word of God. Truth and the word of God is the word of God. However, in Psalms 23 verse 4, David introduced two elements that God uses to guide the ship. Your rod and your staff. So your rod and your staff of Psalms 23 verse 4 is comparable to Ephesians 6, 14 and 17, the being guarded with the truth and the sword of the spirit. The truth here being your defensive mechanism, the things that you use, the, 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 the truth of the word of God, the, the things in the word of God that is not available, that is not going to change. For instance, the virgin birth is a truth. It will never change. I don't care what the denomination you belong to, that is a truth that will never change. The power of the blood of Jesus will never change. That is a truth that you can guard your waist with and in any circumstance and any situation, that truth will stand. Amen? Verse 17, however, tells us the sword of the Spirit. So not only do we have defensive elements for the Word of God, we also have the sword of the Spirit, which is an offensive element regarding the Word of God. So God uses both the defensive element and the offensive element in protecting and guarding his sheep. We see the rod used in Exodus chapter 14 when Moses was leading Israel out of the house of bondage. Exodus 14 in verse 15 and 16. Actually, we can start from verse 14. Exodus 14, 14. Exodus 14, 14, thank you. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. That's, that's the position of a believer. That's our position. In the midst of the chaos that's going on around us, God says, just hold your peace. Hold your peace. Why? The God in you is going to fight the battle. He's going to bring the victory. Amen? Verse 15 goes on to say, And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? In other words, I've given you the tool. Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Verse 16, But lift up what? Your rod. Remember, Moses was a shepherd. And as a shepherd, he had a rod. Amen? So that rod here is used in this situation. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. What's the application? 
The application for you and I is when we find ourselves in times of trouble, times of turmoil, in trials, in the wilderness, even though God is inside of us and we have an intimate relationship with him, he is now telling me and you to exercise the authority that is given us through the power of his word. You speak the word into that situation, trusting that what you say, God will do. Why? It's not a mind that they should lie. Neither the son of man that they should repent. Has he not said it? Will you not bring it to the past? He hastens over his word to perform it. And every word of God shall not return unto him void. So the word of God becomes the rod of God in our mouth in every circumstance and in every situation. So the rod represents the spoken word of God. It is the knowledge of his final word and authority that brings deliverance and comfort to us in the name of Jesus. Amen? Good. And, uh, and, not, and not only did we see this in Exodus, we saw it also, we saw it also in Matthew chapter 4, uh, in the wilderness when Jesus was, was being tempted. Let's just go there for one quick second, and I need to move on. Matthew chapter 4. Uh, let me just read one, and then we can move on. Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus is the pattern son. Amen? How God worked in Jesus is how he's working in us now. Uh, Matthew chapter 4. Let's, let's start with verse 3. Verse 3. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, I think I should, I should take a pause right there. If you are the son of God. What's the temptation there? What's the issue? This tempter was addressing Jesus' identity. And many times, for me and you, when we are in trouble, when we find ourselves in a wilderness situation, when we find ourselves in a situation that's not pleasant, the first thing that the enemy gets to, to do is to doubt whether, in fact, you are the child of God, your identity. That's the root cause. So the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, first of all, if you are the son of God, you shouldn't be in this situation. That's what the enemy tells you and I. If you are the son of God, you shouldn't have a lack. You shouldn't have a need. If you are the son of God, you shouldn't be sick. If you are the, on and on and on and on you go. What? What is he doing? He's trying to bombard our minds to dissuade us, to help, to cause me and you to believe the lie that we're not the children of God. And that's a lie. You should never, ever remove or take yourself from that position of your true identity in Jesus Christ. Amen? So if you are the son of God, he says, Command that these stones become bread. Could Jesus do so? Yes, he could. But look at verse 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I will not read the rest of the passage, but by the time it was all over, the enemy had to back up. He had to back up. But he backed up because Jesus exercised his right by using the word of God in his mouth, the word of God. And that's the same tool you and I have today in order to overcome any wiles of the enemy. So number one, the, the first tool the, the, the shepherd had was a rod. The second one was a staff. A staff was similar to a rod, except that it was a long rod with a hook at the end. And the staff represents the help and strength of the Holy Spirit. The rod represents the word of God, but the staff represents the help and strength of the Holy Spirit. So the shepherd uses the, 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 the staff to draw the sheep together to enjoy intimate relationships with each other, 
It used, it's used to deliver a troubled ship and draws it to himself for intimate examination and comfort. And ultimately, the staff is used for guidance. All right, let me flow to tonight's message in the time that I have left. Psalms 23, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Very quickly, let me go over these benefits again. Number one, no lack. Number two, rest and peace in God. Number three, restoration. Number four, direction. Number five, uh, protection. And now, number six, and I love this. Number six benefit is celebration. Oh, hallelujah. This is where I really get to enjoy my African heritage. Because I'm telling you, Africans know how to celebrate. Glory to God. Amen. Celebration. I want you to understand that celebration did not begin in Africa. It began in the heart of God. And when you understand that, you get on with this message this evening. Celebration is big. What did he say again? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My God. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Let me take us through scriptures and just see that what I've told you is true about God's intent when it comes to celebration. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 1. Leviticus 23, verse 1. Look at what God says. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, verse 2, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feast. Now, notice this now. God is the one that started the feasting, not man. Not man. God told Moses, proclaim to Israel my feast. I don't have the time to read through all of that, but the fact is, when you read Leviticus chapter 23, there were seven different times in the year that God commanded feasting in Israel. My God, seven times. Tell me that God is not after, God is not a God who's, who's thinking about celebration. Seven times in one year. I don't know how many parties of feastings or celebrations we've had this year yet. <laughs> if, if, we are, if, we are, if we are comparing ourselves with God, we are way behind. Seven times in a year, God says, I want feasting. I want celebration. I want the sound of rejoicing. I want singing. Amen? So celebration began in the heart of God. Go with me to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Zephaniah chapter 3, 17. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Hallelujah. Here we go. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. That sounds like celebration to me. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. That reminds me of African wedding celebrations. Hallelujah. Praise God. That is God speaking. Amen. God is thinking celebration, is thinking feasting. You better get on with the program. Because you have to be like God because you were created in his image and likeness. 
Hallelujah. The difference here is we are not talking about being gluttonous or getting into feasting to become obese. That's not what we're talking about. We are talking about celebration that has God as the front and center. Celebration that focuses on what God has done, where God is taking us, where God is, 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 is establishing his kingdom. Celebration, celebration that's celebrating the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Go with me to Luke chapter 15. I want to make sure I saturate your mind with enough scripture so you understand the nature of God. Luke chapter 15, in verses 6 and 7. And when he comes home, now, so this is talking about the shepherd who's lost, uh, who has a hundred sheep and lost one. Okay? So the Bible says he leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one that was lost. Verse 6 says, and when he comes home, after he's found the one that is lost, he calls together his friends and neighbors, <laughs> saying to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I'm saying to you, my friend, God wants me and you to find good reasons to celebrate his goodness, to celebrate his love. Good reasons to call your friends and your neighbors and say, come on here and see what God has done for me. Hallelujah. Verse 9 of the same chapter. Verse 9 of the same chapter. And when she has found it, this is a woman that lost the coin. Okay, she's lost the coin. She went and found the coin. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and say, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Now, so God is saturating our mind through Scripture to help us understand that celebration and feasting begins with him. He initiated them. Give me verse 23. Same chapter, Luke 15, 23. Now, many of us are familiar with this story. The young son who went and squandered the father's inheritance. Uh, we know he was in righteous living. And he returned home. And here we look at the response of the father. In verse 23. And can, 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 you, can you give me verse 22? Maybe that'll make, make it a... Yes. He returns home, verse 22 says, But the father said to the servants, Bring out the best robe. My goodness, that's Nimamakos. And put it on him. And put a ring. You go to Zeus and get a ring. Put a ring on his hand. And sandals like the one Pasolani likes on his feet. <laughs> verse 23. And bring the fatted calf. Don't bring any calf here. These goats that look like they're sick and thin and ugly. No. The fatted one. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. Now this story tells us the heart of our father. Now I wanted you to see all of this before I get into this passage this evening. Because I want you to understand that God looks at me and you with celebration and feasting on his heart. And he's encouraging us to find good reasons to glorify his name for everything he does for us on a daily basis. That's why you should celebrate your children's birthday. Rejoice. Because God gave, them the, gave you the children. Celebrate your birthday. Celebrate your anniversary. Celebrate milestones in your life. And when you're doing that, bring God to the center and let people know it is God that did this. Hallelujah. Amen. So now with all of that in mind, let's go back to the text. 
You prepare a table before me in the midst of my enemies. John chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. John 14, verses 1 and 2. Jesus said, let your heart not be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If we were not so, I would have told you. Last sentence. I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. Verse 3 says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I am saying to you this evening, that heaven is in a perpetual state of rejoicing. Heaven is in a perpetual state of celebration. Heaven is in a perpetual state, state of feasting. Why? Because heaven knows that heaven's agenda will be accomplished. Amen. So you and I need to get with the program. So the Bible says in Psalms 23 verse 5 again, that it prepares a table before us. In the presence of our enemies. Isn't that just like God? He does not take you and I away to, a, to an isolated location and prepare the table. No. He prepares it so that your enemies can testify and witness that even though things are coming at you that should cause you to be depressed, that should cause you to be in despair, that should cause you to be saddened, God says he has prepared a table before you in the presence of your enemies so that your celebration and your feasting in him will be a witness to them that God is bigger and greater than the things that are coming against you. Amen? So, uh, let's go to the book of Esther. Let's look at such a celebration, chapter 5, verses 4 and 6. Many of us remember the story of Esther. Esther chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. So Esther answered, If it pleases the king, let the, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Oh my goodness. Haman is the enemy of the Jews who had a plan to destroy all Jews. Esther was the favorite queen of the king. And so she had an opportunity to, to make a request. What did she do? She asked the king, if he praises the king, let there be a banquet. But I don't want this banquet to just be between the king and the queen alone. I want my enemy. Hey man, let him come and sit down and watch us feast. Hallelujah. Listen to you. Listen. Okay, let me, let me read a couple more verses and I'll break it down. Verse 5. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. Verse 6. At the banquet of the wine, the king said to Esther, what is your petition? It shall be granted you. What is your request? Up to the half of the kingdom. It shall be done. Let's go, go to Esther chapter 7. Esther, Esther chapter 7 from verse 1. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And on the second day, at the banquet of the wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Up to half the kingdom. It shall be done. Verse 3. The queen answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at the petition, at my petition, 
and my people at my request. Verse 4, for we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female servants, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. Verse 5, so the king Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he? And who will dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? Verse 6. And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Now, all of this happened in the context of a banquet or a feast or a celebration, if you will. And so the message to all of us is to understand how you and I can trigger celebrations today in the presence of our enemies, in spite of what's happening in us and through us, to bring serious victory. Let me read one more passage, and I'm going to break it down for the Second Samuel chapter 9, in verse 11. Second Samuel 9, 11. Uh, this is the story of Mephibosheth. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Now you must understand that Mephibosheth, the Bible says he was lame in his feet. But by the edict of the king, he just found himself on a perpetual feasting at the king's table. Which means, whenever he sat down at that table to eat, his lame feet was covered. Whenever he sat down, when we sit down on tables to eat, nobody sees your feet. So the deformity, the flaw, the issues he had, as long as he was seated at the king's table, all those things were totally, completely covered. Hallelujah. That's the same thing Jesus has done for you and I. And the way you and I participate in this today, even now, the way we participate now is to recognize the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. We don't have to call a band to have a celebration. We don't have to have a band to have a feasting. You can have a feast every day, every single day, in remembrance of what Jesus has already done. The Bible says in verse 23, For I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Next verse. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is my new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. What am I saying to you? We're in corona lockdown. People are distressed. Some are fearful. Businesses are failing. As of the last count, I believe 37 million Americans are out of work. All kinds of bad news is being propagated through the TV news media. What I'm saying, what God has said, 
you can remove yourself from all of that in spite of all the fiery darts that's been thrown at you, fear, despair, anguish, on and on and on and on. In spite of all of those things, you get your emblems of communion. Hallelujah. The broken bread and the blood. And you enter your celebration with Jesus Christ. In, and you are acknowledging that Jesus, I'm doing this in remembrance. Remembrance of what? Remembrance of the victory you already gave me. I'm celebrating this just like the man who lost a sheep and found it and celebrated. Like the woman who lost the coin and found it and celebrated. Like the man whose son returned home and called a party. Every day, you and I can feast and celebrate in Jesus. By recognizing the Lord's table and doing so with the confidence that what Jesus paid the price to accomplish for you will come to pass. That's a feasting. That's a feasting. The enemies are all around you. The bad news, the circumstance that you are faced with, the things that are happening in your life for which you may not even have an answer or a solution. But you partake of the table of the Lord you break that bread, and as you partake it, you receive confidence. You are reminded of how through his broken body, your body does not have to be broken. That through his broken body, you can receive healing. You can receive uh, uh, succor for whatever you are faced with. And that through the blood that you drink, that the power of the enemy over you has been stayed. Hallelujah. That is your feasting. And he says we should do so in remembrance of him. Because for this purpose, the Bible tells us in 1 John 3, 8, the Son of Man was made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Every minute you break that bread. I know we do it here once a month, but I'm saying to you, you don't have to wait till you come to church once a month to do this. The emblems are cheap enough. You should do this on a regular basis. We do it together here once a month because it's expedient for us to do that. But I'm saying to you, you need to get into the mindset of celebration and feasting. Like I said to you, God ordered feasting in Israel seven times a year. Seven times. And so for you and I now, we have the opportunity to feast and celebrate on a consistent basis. Celebration. In remembrance of what Jesus has accomplished. And every time you do that, in the presence of the enemies that's coming against you, you send a message. You send a clear message to the enemy that you are standing and you continue to stand because of the power of God that's working you. Amen? All right, let me just close it there for tonight. And uh, uh, next time, we will pick it up from there. But suffice it to say that he's um, prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies, and he anoints our head with oil, and our cup runs over. To the glory of God, we are victorious. And so let me just pray, and then we can just be dismissed for tonight. Amen. So Father, we just want to thank you for this privilege that we have to come before you. We bless your name, Lord God. Now we'll be reminded of what you have already accomplished from us through the power of your cross. And that we will celebrate that victory by participating in the Lord's table on a more regular and consistent basis. That in spite of what's going on around us, we receive the power of your strength through your broken body and the power of God through the blood that's been shed to live a victorious life 
over sin, sickness, and disease in the name of Jesus and to have favor and victory on a day-to-day -day basis wherever we may go. Thank you, Father God, for this assurance. We bless you. We honor you in Jesus' name. And my brother, my sister, if you are listening this evening and you are not born again, I just want to give you the opportunity to do so simply by believing on the Lord Jesus and what he has accomplished. You invite him to your heart, and there he comes. Amen? Simple prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, the Son of God. He died for my sin and rose for my victory. I believe in his name. I call upon him now to save me. Thank you for your salvation. I receive it, and I bless you for your Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Again, if you said a prayer, please let us know. Write us. Contact us on our website, www.walkfundusa.org. Again, www.walkfundusa.org. God bless you. We'll see you again on Friday at 12 noon, and then thereafter on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, and then Tuesday at 8 p.m. for prayer. God bless you. We'll see you then. God bless.